Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I want you to turn very quickly to your scripture to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to actually read one verse this morning. One verse this morning for 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 9. Uh, of course, we have students or future students from True McConnell here, and I want to invite you on the campus. There's a very special day in which you can come, uh, in which there will be a lot of churches that come on uh, Saturday, April the 18th. Uh, we have a uh, student scholarship fundraiser, all monies over the last two years, which is about $300,000, have been given back to the students for either student mission trips or student scholarships. Uh, and uh, this year, our speaker is Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the uh, White House press secretary uh, for Donald Trump. And so if you would like to take that beautiful bus out there and roll on up to it, we'd love to have you uh, for that special time. You just tell your pastor uh, once he's back in lucidity and doesn't act like a drunk man coming in this morning. And uh, we'll go from there. And so we're grateful uh, for all the students who are coming. Uh, more so, we're grateful for how the Lord's working in their lives. I hope you are as well. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. I'm just going to present a question this morning through one verse of Scripture. What's stopping you from having full victory in the Lord Jesus Christ? What's stopping you from having full victory in the Lord Jesus Christ? Now go back to the last time that the Lord intervened in such a way in your life that you'll never forget it. For our Lord, that is all based on what Pastor Matt was saying, what we were singing, that is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the entirety of 1 Peter is built around that question of the living hope, 1 Peter 1.3. Uh, that you then can present the Lord Jesus Christ to others. Back about six years ago, uh, my wife became a United States citizen. Uh, for those who know, I uh, met my wife on a mission trip to the Czech Republic back in January of 2000, so exactly 20 years ago. In fact, this week, 20 years ago. Uh, she was my translator. For, we dated for one week, and we got married. That's not a recommendation. That's simply what happened. I'm not t I have two daughters. Any boy thinks they're going to marry them in a week? I still have enough Muslim in me to get jihad on them. So this is not a recommendation. It's not what I'm talking But we got married. Now three children later, one of which is with me this morning, as I'm always blessed to have. And, and then life got hold, of course. And we thought, you know, it's time for her to become a United States citizen. And she had had enough of watching the uh, politics in this country, and she wanted to vote anyways. And uh, she wanted to take a stand against socialism in particular, which is where she was raised, and she couldn't believe what she was hearing. So it was a special day, December 2019. All of five of us, the three children, my wife and I, went down to Atlanta. If you've never been part of a ceremony like this, it is spectacular. It's moving. It's emotional. Because you're there, and it's, it's an ingrained moment in your mind. You, you watch, as I did, as my wife raised her right hand and pledged exclusive allegiance to the United States. It was an incredibly special moment. You watch as she then becomes a citizen of the United States with all the rights, all the responsibilities. And it was an entirely moving moment. And then you get to go up and you get a naturalization certificate. This is your certificate. That's the most important document you have from an officer of the court that then congratulates you for such a special moment. Now, I 
those who know me, and Pastor Matt's a trustee for me, knows I'm a bit sarcastic. I wanted her to do something, but that's because I'm a carnal creature. And so I wanted her to go up and have some fun. She wouldn't do it. I had Facebook Live wanting to go. Because I wanted her to go up, shake the officer's hand as an immigrant, smile, look at him and say, hey, well, where's the welfare line? But she wouldn't do it. Too special of a moment. Her pagan Turkish redneck husband was wrong. And so we went. It was a great moment. Can I tell you a special moment it was for a woman that was raised under the auspices of communism, whose family was persecuted by those who were in power to then be able to live in the freest country on earth? The, the stark contrast is incredible. How much more so for you and I who are a citizen of heaven? This is a special place. This is where the Lord has called us for a time that is but a vapor. But this isn't our home. We are sojourners. We are passing through. We are foreigners in the land. But one day, He who has saved us and prepared a mansion for us will call you home. As Adrian Rogers said, death is not a period. It's a comma for the next stage in life. So what causes the average Christian that surrounds us to live a life that is not based in faith and hope and love and victory. Read with me. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 simply says this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you believe you can live a life of victory? See, the whole wraparound 1 Peter is writing to what they call the diaspora. These are the separated ones. Because of persecution, they have been left lonely. They have been scattered. And Peter is writing to them to remind them of 1 Peter 1.3, the living hope of the salvation that is revealed. And he reminds them that while this life is difficult, you can have victory. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16 says, Be ye holy as I am holy. You see, you being separated from the world is not merely a possibility, it's an expectation of the Lord. That you would look different and act different and be different than the friends who you and I hang around that are lost so that they would look at you and say, wow, there's something so radically different about that person than me. And while they are sinners, there is something spectacularly different. How much so? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2 tells you that it's possible to live this life. How? how? How is it possible? Well, because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands sure forever. The only way you can live this life is you stand on the written word of God. The only way. Not a feeling that moves out, but a faith that's based on the word of God. How powerful can your faith be? 1 Peter chapter 2 says that even those who are lost will see when you abstain from fleshly lusts and they will glorify your God who is in heaven. 
It'll be so public, so radical, they'll notice your life. And not only in public, but in private. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 talks to husbands and says, Gentlemen, if you don't treat your wives with the respect and honor that they deserve, your prayers will be hindered. See, our faith has to be so strong that it is not only seen in public, but more importantly, it's even seen in private. How powerful is your faith? Well, you can see it in church. Because 1 Peter chapter 4 talks about spiritual gifts that are given to each person in the body of Christ. That you would exercise it. You see, an unhealthy church comes from a body of Christ that doesn't claim the victory that has already been given to them through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do you live this life? Well, it's only possible because 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 says, love covers a multitude of sins. See, there's a radical difference between a Pharisee and a Christian. A Pharisee looks for your failures. A Christian looks for your faith. Who are you hanging around? So much so that 1 Peter chapter 5 talks about pastors. That pastors will get a crown. I'm sure you know this, but the life of a pastor is one of the most strenuous professions and callings you can choose. In fact, there are only five crowns in Scripture. Only five that are listed. Now, the first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's for transformation. You know, God calls you to be transformed doesn't mean it's not going to be a difficult task for you to move from carnality to spirituality, from darkness to light is not an easy task. And the Lord says, I will give you a crown for you who are transformed. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, if you win someone to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you share your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He'll give you a crown. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, for those who expect the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll give you a crown. James chapter 1 says, those who are persecuted for the faith, by the way, in the year 2019, that number added to one out of every eight Christians in the world, 260 million Christians woke up today not knowing if they'd be persecuted in prison or even put to death. I'll give you a crown. But here's what I, I wonder. Did the apostle Peter know that all five crowns would be given to him? You ever thought about that? The man who showed transformation, the man who won people to Christ in Acts chapter 2, the one who expected the return of our Lord, the one who was persecuted with the disciples in Acts 4 and 5, the one who was a pastor, 1 Peter 5, I wonder if he even knew that his life that began in obscurity would end with the resonance and favor of God. Because Peter wasn't the naturally born leader. That's where we make the mistake. Leaders are just born. No, they're not. They're never born that way. God endows that to happen. Think about it. When Peter is called in the Gospel of John, also mentioned in Matthew chapter 10, Peter's a follower, not a leader. It is his brother Andrew who brings him to Jesus. But by Matthew 16, it's Peter who calls out, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he takes the leadership role. And so powerful is it that he's not merely among the twelve, he's among what they call the inner sanctum, the three, Peter, James, and John. In Matthew 17, it's Peter, James, and John who goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration and sees Jesus in all of his glory. 
certainly if Peter reaches that high mountaintop, he'll, he'll never fall, will he? But we know better, don't we? Because we know the story in Matthew chapter 26 when that brandished Peter says, Jesus, I will never betray you. And then he walks away from his Savior. The same Savior that he was only one of three that saw him in all of his glory. He walks away from him. But Jesus never leaves you where you are. Aren't you grateful for that this morning? And he restores Peter. You know the story. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Notice he didn't say, let's mention your sin three times. Instead, he said, let me mention my love three times. And then it was Peter who preached and saw 3,000 people saved in Acts 2. Then it was Peter who healed the lame man in Acts 3. And then it was Peter who was counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. Then it was Peter who walked with Jesus for 37 consistent, faithful years. Until such time that a vicious emperor by the name of Nero thought it would be a good idea to snuff him out and said he would be crucified like Jesus. And Peter said, no, no, no. I can't be crucified like my Lord. I'm not worthy to be where he was and hanged in the way in the methodology. You hang me upside down. And to this day, it's known as a Petrine cross, a cross of Peter hanged upside down. It was said the last few years before he died, he would repeat something that and then goes into Latin, Desiderio Domini. I just desire to be with my Lord. See, a life of victory is only possible if you keep your focus on the destination that God has given you. You've heard it said that those who are too heavenly minded are no earthly good. I suggest to you that it's the exact opposite. Those who are too earthly minded will never be any heavenly good. And that's why Peter just gives you three quick points today. He gives us taglines. Names that we cannot forget. 1 Peter 2.9 says, Therefore, because of all of that, you are a chosen generation. You are a genos eclecton. Now don't get too excited. This is not a sermon on election and who is elected and who is not elected. In fact, it couldn't be because 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 8 disregards anything because he even says of lost people that they disobeyed the word in which they were appointed. The Word of God is not merely for those that God will save. The Word of God was even given to those who were lost. So what is he talking about here? If the eclecton, if the elect, is not about our salvation individually, what is it about? The whole book is about how you and I are together in this thing called life. The genus eclecton, the very picture he gives you in 1 Peter 2.9, that chosen generation, simply means this. The moment that God called you out of darkness and to this marvelous light, you not only received all of Him who will now indwell you, but you got a family called Eastside Baptist Church. See, God not only takes care of you vertically, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God takes care of you horizontally. 
He ensures that you realize and you know that the picture of life is that we need each other. That you can't live this life like an island on a sea. That you need each other. That the 8-year-old needs the 80-year-old. And that the 80-year-old needs the 8-year-old. That all believers, we are called to be fitted together. We are a chosen generation. You know the church where I was saved, you'd have never guessed that was the right church. It, it, it was, mark my words. But nobody would ever thought that Stelzer Road Baptist Church in Columbus, Ohio would ever be the place where a Muslim would get saved. Including me. Let, let me show you why. It was a very eclectic church. Eclectic is a big word for it was weird. Weird beyond hilt. My pastor was an ex-moonshiner who got saved. Odd. He was a Korean War veteran. He was stationed in Tokyo where he met his wife, Yukiko. She was a Buddhist who got saved. Loved to pray in church, but her heavy English accent, we didn't have a clue what was going on. After, oh, heavenly father, I don't know what was going on. Might as well have been tongues, and it was. In that same weird church was a German woman who loved to sing country western music. Do you know how odd it is to hear a German accent for George Strait? So just think about this. The Lord sees in His sovereignty to put a moonshiner with a Japanese woman, with a German woman, and work a Turkish family. Anybody know your history? Yeah, we were the Axis of World War II. That's what our church was. <laughs> Except for one thing. What brought us together? The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's always enough. And you want to see how God and His providence works? Where it doesn't make any sense in a natural mind. When I would go home after I was saved, and when my father would say, you're not my son, and would disown me, God was ready for that. Of course he was. Do you know what happened to you, Kiko, the pastor's wife, when that Buddhist got saved? Take a guess. The same thing. Her parents said, you're no longer our daughter. And when that event happens to me, take a guess who was there to help. When the Lord says you are a chosen generation, it means literally you are called to be part of a fellowship. You're not here by accident, and you don't stay here by accident. This is a family together that we have. You are a chosen generation is based on the Lord's Old Testament promises. The laws of God, Isaiah 43 says, you are my people and my chosen. Deuteronomy 7, 8 says, I choose to keep my oaths because I love you. It's a corporate election brought to the family of God. You are a chosen generation. Secondly, you are a royal priesthood. Now, the Jewish people who had been saved that Peter is speaking to, they know the words here. The fact that you are a royal priesthood draws their minds immediately back to the Hebrew Scriptures. They knew that the priest was the one who walked into the Holy of Holies and that high priest would walk in there. 
Nobody else was allowed. The veil separated the people from the high priest. And the high priest then sacrificed on behalf of the people. And they knew, because they've now been saved, that that veil, Ephesians 3, had been torn in two and the high priest was no longer necessary. So when Peter speaks to Jewish person as a Jewish person who had been saved, when he mentions that they are a royal priesthood, the question becomes, who's a priest then? Well, Exodus chapter 19 literally says you are kings and priests together. Revelation chapter 1 says the same thing, you are kings and priests together. I want you to note something about the priesthood today. There is a priesthood today, but number one, it's never, ever, ever relegated to a pastor. Your pastor is not your priest. 1 Timothy 2 says there is one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Priesthood is not relegated to a pastor. And by the way, priesthood is not relegated to any single individual ever in the New Testament. The priesthood is us together. It draws on the same thing that a chosen generation, our royal priesthood is. The beautiful picture, Revelation chapter 5 says, you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God. You are priests to serve the Lord. Well, how does that make sense? Because if there's no mediator, what's the point? First. Peter 2.9 actually answers that, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You see, when you walk out this morning, whether you like it or not, you're the mediator because some people, the only Jesus they'll ever hear of and they'll ever read of is you. In the most recent Gallup survey, 51% of Christians say they don't even know what the Great Commission is or where it is found in the Scripture. The Great Commission, go ye therefore into the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. The majority of Christians surveyed did not know the definition or where it is found in Scripture. Do you know why a majority of Christians don't have victory in this life? Simply put, they don't share Jesus in this life. God, when He saved you, called you to be priests. So when you walk out of here, it's going to be a mom or a dad for some of you. For others, like me, it's going to be a sister or a sibling. For others, it's a friend or a co-worker or a classmate. And they don't know Jesus. And so many times we wonder, Lord, why won't you give me victory? And the answer, he says, is proclaim me who brought you out of darkness into this marvelous light. A lot of times our hearts fall into mediocrity and pain simply because of not what we do, but what we don't do. We don't share the Lord Jesus. You cannot have a fulfilled, joyful Christian life if you don't share Jesus. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood and Ultimately, lastly, he says, you are a holy nation. A holy nation. That is, not only are you part of the king's family, a royal priesthood, not only are you part of a chosen family, you and I are called to be a part of a called family. A holy nation. 
The word holy has two meanings here in the text. Number one, it is an instigation of your behavior. Here's a simple question of whether you're going to have victory. Does your behavior reflect your faith? Does your behavior reflect your faith? See, Lord, 2 Corinthians 5 says, you are new creatures. Behold, all the old things are passing away and things are now becoming new. James says it this way, we battle the carnality with the Spirit. So now you have a decision to make. Is your life going to reflect the light of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is your life going to reflect the old carnal creature? I promise you the old carnal creature will never give you joy. It may give you something in passing. It may give you something seasonal. And it certainly may give you something temporal. But it will never give you something eternal. And never give you something that is contentment. And it will never give you something that is fulfilling. Holy nation means that when people see us together or us separately, they'll say, you know what? There's just something special about Sunday mornings at Eastside. There's just something special about that family over there. I know we all have our problems, but man, when they have those problems, there's something different. The second idea of holiness is that it's called of separation. That is, one of the ways you are fulfilled in this life is that the Lord, in four different passages, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4, give you spiritual gifts. These are gifts that God gives to you, not for yourself, but for the service to others, hospitality and teaching and mercy and other gifts, so that others can be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And if you don't exercise your gifts. You'll never seek and find ultimate fulfillment in this life that God has put upon your heart. You see, holy nation is not about geography. Holy nation goes so much deeper than that. When my son and I were traveling uh, a few years ago, he had just turned 15, and we decided to do something special. So we did a sort of mancation, right? A masculine type of vacation. Now, where do you go for such an event. May I recommend Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania has two of the most incredible sites that will be spiritual to you in one way or another. Number one, it's got Hershey's chocolate. You ever been up there? One day you'll find college president arrested for jumping into a vat of chocolate because it is glorious up there. It's got Hershey's chocolate. Then if you go the other side of Harrisburg, it's got Gettysburg. John Mark and I walked into where Lincoln gave his Gettysburg address, but we went to a very, what I like as an historian, a very special place because they're unmarked graves. 418 of them to be exact. They're in a semicircle. No names. You don't know if the person buried there fought for the North or the South. All you know is that person fought for their country and loved their country. That's what you know. John Mark and I spent a, a few minutes there and I said, I just want to remind you of three things, my son, to remind you what it is to be a godly man. Three things to make you a godly man. Number one, you better sacrifice for your Lord. Our job in this life is that we are to die daily, that we must decrease and He must increase. Sacrifice for your Lord. Number two is a man, sacrifice for your family. There is no greater thing a husband can do than put himself second in terms of his family. 
to ensure that he protects and provides in every single way. Sacrifice for your Lord and sacrifice for your family. And son, if you're ever called on it, sacrifice for your country. If you do those three things, I think you'll put a smile on God's face. We got done and we went to the information center. It's a beautiful little museum that's there. And it's a massive site. If you don't know, you know, it's a three-day battle, the bloodiest place in American soil that blood had been spilt over our history. And it, it could take you eight hours to take a tour bus. We only had a half hour left. So I went up to the lady at the information desk. I said, ma'am, I, I don't know what to do. I've only got a half hour left. And you got all these tour buses, but we don't have time. We need to go to Washington, D.C. And so what, what would you suggest that we do? <laughs> she, she didn't know anything about my background. She said, well, I suggest you go to the battlefield on the side your family fought on back then. <laughs> you got it, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, where does a Muslim go again? Because <laughs> my fight was a thousand years ago against you, and it didn't end up well for you at that point in Syria. But I didn't have any dog in a fight over here in terms of this one. So I thought, I don't know where to go. Oh, I know where to go. So John Mark and I went up to the Northern Virginia Army. You know why? Revival broke out there in the middle of a three-day battle, and hundreds were saved both from the north and the south. See, even in the middle of the darkest moments of our history, God still saves. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're my special people. You know, the remarkable thing when you look back on life is people remember the high moments and the low moments far more than the daily activities. The question I always ask when I teach history and study history is, so how will people be remembered? In the way that you hope to have victory, what would be the God moments to which people would remember you? I love to teach church history. It was one of my favorite subjects to teach at seminary when I was there. And one of my favorite guys to talk about was a man that only lived about a hundred years after our Lord by the name of Polycarp. In fact, Polycarp was probably the last man to have personal interaction with a disciple. Polycarp was born around AD 70. Most of the disciples, like Peter by this time, were dead. But one apostle that you know, of course, the apostle John, who wrote the last book of Scripture, the Apocalypse, he was still there. And the apostle John mentored Polycarp. Then, of course, John passes away right around 8100 or so, and Polycarp is about 30 years old. Polycarp goes on to pastor an incredible church to which John had written about in Revelation chapter 2, the church of Smyrna. Polycarp gets to be a very old man. He's blessed to be about 86 years old. And the Roman emperor at the time said, you know what, we've had enough of this aged and saint, so we're just going to snuff him out and we're going to kill him. So they arrest Polycarp and they threaten him. Polycarp's not bothered by any of it. The first thing they tell Polycarp is, Polycarp, we want you to recant your faith. Now, do you think a man who walked with Jesus, walked with John, pastored a church to which John wrote about in the apocalypse, do you really think he's going to forsake his faith? But they did. They said, just, just recant your faith. He said, I'm not going to recant my faith. He said, if you don't recant your faith, I'll throw you to animals. And the 86-year-old man said, what are you waiting for? Hurry up. 
Man, they hated that. They hated it. How did an 86-year-old man have the right to, to brow up like that? So they said, that's fine. If you don't want that, if you don't like the animals, we're just going to burn you with fire. <laughs> that's the wrong thing to mention to Polycarp. He'd been preaching all his life and said, you worry about the fire that quenches in an hour, but you do not worry about the fire that never quenches. Now he starts preaching. He said, fine, let's just get this over with. Tie him up. He said, you don't have to tie me up. I'm not going anywhere. And he said this famous phrase, 80 and 60 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? He dies a martyr's death. And a contemporary chronicler from 156 AD writes this, that Polycarp was sharing the cup of Christ and the resurrection to eternal life. Because remember, death isn't a period. It's a comma. And it's a comma not merely because you'll be with Jesus. Listen to Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are they who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, for they shall rest from their labors and their works shall follow them. How will you be remembered? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that like the Apostle Peter, I would call out Desiderio Domini. I just want to be with my Jesus. And Lord, if that means I get 86 years like Polycarp, or much less like Stephen, Lord, I pray my life will be an emulation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's anyone here in this room that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, may today be the day that He calls him or her home. The day of salvation, the day of beginning to walk with an eternal God who promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. A day where forgiveness comes and sins are removed as far as the east is from the west and victory is found in the finished work of Jesus. But Lord, for we who have been believers, some for months and some for decades, allow us to ask ourselves this introspective question, are we living a life of victory? Does our life reflect being brought out of darkness into His marvelous light? Have we shared Christ? When was the last time that we shared the powerful name of Jesus with someone? Lord, if it's been a long time, forgive us. And do us with power on high to go out and share with loved ones, friends, family, strangers, locally or even globally. Lord, this day is yours. This hour is yours. This altar is yours. This invitation is yours. They're brief moments, but they're God moments. Work, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you stand with me, as Pastor Matt will be in the middle, if you have a decision to make privately, you can do it at your seat. You can do it at the altars up here. If you have one to make publicly, like salvation, church membership, anything like that, Pastor Matt's right. They're waiting for you.